It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello there. So we're back this week to pick over the wreckage following Erling Haaland's absence from Game Week 14's proceedings, leading to all of the FPL community desperately scrabbling for answers as previous permanence collapsed into a mixture of panic, despair and farce. Speaking of, of a collapse into farce, um, I'm joined by a guest tonight as Sam, aka FPL Pricey, drops by. But it's a very lucky scenario because just before we came on pretty much lucy managed to say that she's had to take her husband to minor injuries after hurting his ankle falling over while running so yeah it's possibly the quickest promotion ever from guest the temporary co-host on your maiden appearance here mate <laughs> welcome sam good to see you obviously we know each other fairly well from fpl meets and talk on twitter and so on and so forth would you mind introducing yourself briefly to the good people yeah, of course. So thank you, first off, for having me on the show. I've been watching this show and listening to it for quite a few years now. I think this was probably the first podcast I started listening to quite a few years ago as my FPL obsession was starting to grow. Um, so it is a massive honour to be on the show. So thank you very much. And I will be giving you your 50 quid for having me on the show later on. Don't worry. But a little bit about me really quick. A few of you might know me from uh, FPL Twitter as FPL Pricey, otherwise known as Sam, of course. Um, I'm a consistent, if not flashy, FPL manager. So hopefully any advice I give today will guide you towards the upper echelons. Like Lucy, uh, I am, for my sins, a Southampton fan. So we're trading a saint for another saint today. So hopefully that doesn't affect our decision making this week with Newcastle assets definitely on the agenda. Mm, absolutely. Well, actually, it's, it's probably quite a good dodge because otherwise I'd have been ganged up on roundly by you lot. But yeah, great to have you on, Sam. Thanks very much for your time today. We are, of course, who got the assist. You can find me at WGTA underscore FPL on Twitter. Uh, Lucy, absent this week. We'll be back next week. Barring no further spousal accidents, we'll be back at Lucy Hynett with two Ts. Uh, on the pod today, now, holding your nerve in FPL all about control really so after a couple of difficult weeks we ask how much control us managers really have in these odd circumstances and with time running out 
uh, on the first half of the season. A shorter back end this week, focusing on the final couple of game weeks, as you'd expect. And we're recording on Halloween. It's Monday, the 31st of October. Yes, happy Halloween, everybody. Let's go to the game reviews first this week. I think it kind of links to the main topic once more. So I did say we're going to shove it to the start of the second section in the past, but two weeks in a row, it kind of really nicely segues from the game reviews. I'm just going to start off with Lucy. Uh, Lucy got... because I think was. she got 59 the same 59. as me next week. It's 59, yeah. okay. But Zaha versus Rashford. I'll come on to why I got Rashford in a minute. But Zaha versus Rashford, 59, so a small red arrow. Sam, what about you? How'd you get on and how's your season going? Yeah, so uh, as I briefly mentioned there, I think I got 59 as I I wasn't really paying attention to my exact score this week because it's been a bit of a shocker. But 59 points was probably subpar this week. Um, It's been a couple of red arrows in a row now, which has blunted what has been probably quite a promising season so far. I think I reached about 40k up until about a couple of weeks ago. Post wildcard, it all seemed to be going way too well. So obviously I've been brought back down to earth. I'm back sat just outside the top 100K now after a couple of red arrows. But fingers crossed we can push forward and bump that just inside the top 100K before we go into the World Cup break. Did you make any moves this week or bring anyone in? Yeah, I did. So a last minute dive onto Luke Shaw, which is very unlike me as an FPL manager. Usually I try and be Mm. very conservative in my moves. But with the news that Haaland wasn't going to be even in the matchday squad, I looked around and I didn't fancy Gehi to come off my bench. So I dived on Luke Shaw as a replacement for Matt Doherty. And, well, at least he got the clean sheet. But as you can see, Gehi stuck on my bench with six points. It would have made no difference. And I could have rolled the transfer going into game week 15, which would be very, very helpful at this point. So hindsight is twenty twenty, but I don't hate the move I made. No, definitely not. I mean, it made a lot of sense at the time. Uh, Lucy did manage to roll it. But yeah, it, it was a really kind of pressured situation, wasn't it, on Saturday morning? And I personally, as I kind of intimated a second ago, ended up making that pressure purchase as that news emerged that Holland and Foden weren't playing, which set me into a, initially, Sam, it set me into a state of analysis paralysis, basically. There was a good five minutes when I had FPL open on my screen and I was just staring blankly at it, just like, what do I do? Because I I didn't really anticipate all week, I was thinking to myself, Holland will be fine. Of course, he'll be fine. Yeah, I'm sure he'll be absolutely fine. And then when that happened, I was kind of like, what do I do here? I've got no idea. So I was looking at it for a while and I kind of kicked into action and made a sort of instant call to do Bowen to Rashford, reasoning that Foden should hopefully be back, hopefully for Fulham and Brentford and Bowen at the time, we didn't know he would start. It might be injured. David Moyes has a, uh, a tendency to be economical of the truth at times. So I was thinking, oh, well, you know, I'm replacing a, a non-starter with a starter. And we extolled Rashford's virtues on the last pod. And as I said last week, I didn't like Saka's game week 15 and 16, Chelsea and Wolves. I guess that was the keep it simple, stupid option. But I just, I don't know, I just didn't like it. So I guess I did that. And then I spent most of the day annoyed that I didn't do Foden to Rashford with Salah to KDB in mind for this week. But later on, I was glad, obviously, but I didn't do it, <laughs> as we'll discuss momentarily. But yeah, buying Rashford's, sorry, just go back to it in a second, um, in that sort of haze of haste was one of those moments I really don't like in FPL decision making it was like it reminded me of when you were browsing books in the airport 
and suddenly you hear your flight being called. You're like, oh God, you know, I've, I've got to go. I've got to go. I've got to go to get the monorail or whatever. And you've got to make a snap decision and you kind of buy a book that could be good or could be bad, but you haven't really thought it through. I mean, luckily it did work out, but you know what I said last week? Hopefully you listen. He says, oh, I'll invite you on as a guest. But it's not... <laughs> good. Yes, it's 55 pounds now you're going to get. <laughs> it's not about the right or wrong decision. It's about are you happy with the decision you made and therefore kind of, you know, the, the, the thought process. And it just didn't feel like a satisfying decision-making process. And that of course was compounded by the site crashing too. There was a moment where I, I genuinely had no clue what team I'd end up with, you know, whether my transfer had gone through, whether my team region had gone through, changed the captain from Holland to Salah. Didn't know whether that had gone through either. Mm. And at that point, we didn't know whether Holland was merely benched or totally out. So, you know, I was looking at, you know, potentially because the game hadn't gone through, you know, either playing with 10 men, relying on Neko Williams or Matt Doherty. And it was just a bit of a farce, really, wasn't it? Like, expected server crash, XCS mm. should never be a consideration in FPL. But the reality is, as with COVID times, like, it was just, it was so. I mean, I know it's a game, but it was so stressful. It was a really stressful kind of 20 minutes. And I really empathize with those people who just couldn't make their moves. Like I saw those horror stories, I'm sure you did too, or people wanting to buy Almiron or something. Like people who, for whatever reason, had Captain on Holland and Foden Vice and not being able to change it, Ooh, all that sort of stuff. And, but yeah, for me, luckily, I mean, you got 59, I got 65. So it wasn't too far apart small red arrow from me from 24k down to 29k third consecutive red arrow now quadrupled my rank uh, basically in three weeks um obviously disappointing but also just a 5k red is water tready rather than disastrous owed a lot to the defense so we both got full houses this week at the back didn't we both have pope cancelo trippier you got big shaw um, i've got anderson midfield again really similar only difference was Rashford obviously scored the winner for Man United. Second header in two games, actually, uh, which is very mm. nice. And then uh, Foden off the bench, I think, for both of us. And then Mitrovic and bloody Tony, <laughs> so, you know, rounding off the misery up front a little bit. And uh, Tony, that's that's the end of a very mixed spell in my side, to be honest. I mean, obviously some great brilliance. The brace against Brighton was fantastic, obviously, but a lot of blanks as well in that time frame. And the, the, the late sort of yellow card, Allo James Madison really taking control out of my hands a bit about what I was going to do. Spoiler alert, he's already been binned. But yeah, I'm 65 and a small red. And given how others have done <laughs> this week, I'll absolutely take it. Let's move on to the main discussion point this week, which is control in fantasy football and holding your nerve. So I guess last week we began to think about this from one angle, you know, zombifying your team a little bit, Sam. And I guess you know everybody would know our answer on going into it. Keep on playing. It'll be all right. Variants will work out for you in the end, probably. But part of that discussion, which I felt also bled into the events of the game we just gone, was when I gave a rather kind of nihilistic view of the next few weeks ahead last week. I think I said, yeah, we've got no real ability to do anything except to accept our fate for the most part with such little time left before the World Cup. And Lou said something like, oh, that's so sad. But I mean, that's probably true. But nonetheless, this week, I feel like the chain of events, again, as I said with Tony, and some people got Saka as well, control has, again, been completely wrested out of the hands of FPL managers. And last week, we spoke about you know, how the Madison suspension, dictating blank choices, and how things like moving Trossard to Foden, now, all of these things felt fairly obvious. And they were kind of a sequence of events which seemed glaringly worthwhile doing. Basically, this all meant, Sam, I think, that 
we've been effectively straightjacketed for quite a while now. Those four game weeks or two actual weeks. So I think, you know, with you on this week, I think it's good to continue that discussion from another angle, which is, as I've said a couple of times, control in FPL and ask, how much of it do we really have at the moment? And is that okay? I mean, Sam, from your perspective, do we have less control than ever? Yeah, I think this is a really interesting topic to take on board this week of all weeks when it looks like we're losing more control than ever with players going out to injury suspension. And of course, we've had a few postponements this season as well. It does seem like the illusion of control has been sort of snatched away from us at any given moment. And especially this week, a lot of us, I think a third of FPL managers have Tony in their side. Obviously, the majority of us already have Haaland as well. It feels like we're being led down a very specific route in terms of the transfers we're going to be almost suggested to make by FPL content creators, but also just through logic as well. Wilson obviously got four returns over the weekend, is almost identical price to Tony. So it seems like a logical move. But I think if you take yourself out of that situation for a second and look at the bigger picture, the fact that we've only got two weeks left now before we all get effectively a wild card and the fact that a lot of us do have injuries and suspensions in our squad, maybe there's an argument to say this is an opportunity to take back some control and think about some slightly more differential picks or maybe even taking a hit to mix up our sides a little bit going into those final two game weeks. Be interested to hear what you think about sort of taking a hit at this point to try and differentiate our sides with so few game weeks left before the break. I just feel like the chances of that hit being repaid quickly are so vanishingly small. I'd love to go through and look over the last five seasons how often the player gets seven points in the game week. I think it's got to be seven, hasn't it, to make up for if you're yeah. selling a player, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'd love to see how common that is. I, I'm guessing really, really uncommon. And I think that you know, in order to, for that to happen, it just doesn't feel like it's the right thing to do at this point. It definitely feels like there's a bit of consolidation. But equally, because people like me are thinking like that, there's obviously an opportunity in that to do something unexpected and try to push toward aiming for the upside. It's just one of those things where at the moment, I, I kind of feel like, use the words there, the, the illusion of control. And that immediately makes you think of the, the pre-season pod, uh, the psychology one that we did with uh, Ross and Simon in March. And that big part of that was the illusion of control. And that's the idea that people think they have more control over things than they actually do in their lives. Like humans like to believe we've got individual control of our fate. It's our agency in social sciences, which can mean that we overestimate how much control we actually have of events that impact us. In real life, this manifests in many ways. So a good example is superstitious behavior, you know, making sure that you wear a certain color on match day so your team wins. So, you know, you'd be wearing your lucky red boxes, hoping that Southampton win. Or back when you were at uni, Sam, you were wearing your lucky red boxes, hoping they ended up on some young lady's floor. (laughs) And and also, you know, magic. This is this is superstition. It's magical thinking, isn't it? You know, people would take Saint Christopher's travel charms with them on journeys to make sure you get a, a safe outcome. And FPL, there's loads of ex- behaviours that managers do to provide this illusion of control. And one of them, obviously, is what you said. Like at the moment, we've got an element of control because we can make moves, we can take hits. You know, we can we can move things around. Uh, what's really interesting to me is how this manifests when your actual control event ends at the deadline. 
and people kind of go into this weird sort of mode you know the superstitious rituals come out like not checking your the score after 60 minutes if you have clean sheets in play like, i just don't do it because I've, I've in my head i'm just thinking i don't want to see what could have been obsessively keeping track of bonus points like you know, baker um above average like he was saying to me the other week oh, i'm looking at the bonus points all the time i was like well okay this is probably an, an example of that <laughs> I, I, I love the guy Mm. the biggest one check in live fpl every five minutes to see how everything that's happened has affects your live score like that's the only element of control you actually feel like you've got but like we've only a handful of decisions left sam to get back to your hit point and maybe even one fewer if you made a transfer already this game week like i have as you said the wilson in for tony move was so blindingly obvious i did it before the rises and falls respectively I just feel like we're kind of locked into our squads more than ever from my perspective. And I kind of wonder whether linked to that, our tolerance level is at an all-time high for underperforming players almost. Thinking of Mo Salah again, I think he did take seven shots and he had, I think it was his third highest non-pen XG recording this season actually against uh, against Leeds. Yeah, But a good example there, I mean, in normal times, I'd be thinking, yeah, minus four. I'm going to get him out for somebody or, you know, try to mess around with it. But Any players out there that you'd be that confident score four more points than Salah in over two game weeks, though? That's the problem that we're facing, isn't it? Well, that's it. And do you think that we've got a really high tolerance now for underperforming players more than we ever would in like a normal season? Yeah, I think we do. And I think the fact that the season has shaped up the way it has so far, our tolerance for those underperforming players and almost our aversion to taking hits is as high as it's ever been in recent times, certainly in the most recent three or four seasons, it's always been a case of taking hits to try and chase the upside with this season. I think there's been a few very particular reasons why we haven't actually needed to take hits quite so often. And I think we've, most of us have got ourselves in a position where we're almost just very anti hits because we've gone so far without taking one anyway. So obviously we've all had the bonus wildcard to look forward to and get after game week 16, meaning the first wildcard could be used for much less of a good reason than in previous seasons. So around game week eight or nine, lots of postponements. And obviously we had the uh, international break. So we were all able to use a wildcard around then to make sure that we didn't need to take hits to serve those postponements and to navigate through that. Then we also had the, the sheer factor that a lot of the best teams had great runs of fixtures at the start of the season, which meant we went into about game week seven or eight having pretty good, strong squads where not many moves needed to be made at all, let alone um, let alone taking hits. And then finally, another reason we haven't really needed to take so many hits so far is that a lot of our benches have been set up really well. So the likes of Andreas coming off the bench as most of our first subs um, most weeks so far, he's been fantastic value at 4.5 million. And it's meant that we can kind of trust a backup player rather than having to take hits on a player that's injured for one given game week or this week, if it wasn't for the fact that Andreas is playing City away, I'd be quite tempted to just leave Tony in my squad, put him on the bench and play Andreas. I think it's just the sheer fact he's up against Man City that hits are looking slightly more likely for your average FPL manager this, this week more than others so far. 
No, that's a really good point. And all of those factors have combined to create a really kind of small C conservative environment in some ways, because yeah. as you said, we've all had our wild card over the World Cups to look forward to. Um, and as our mutual friend Praz, uh, Praz FPL said at the start of the season, there was always that, that low bar to wildcarding early on, wasn't it? And mm -hmm. it kind of felt like I, I wildcarded in game week six before the Queen died. And then I had a two week yeah. wildcard. But I feel like there was a kind of a point of the lemmings start to go over the edge. Idiots like me went and then suddenly the next week, everyone was like, oh yeah, well, time to wildcard now. I might as well. There's loads of money to be made. And it, it, it's just amazing how herdy we've all been like that whole kind of the mixture of greed and fear the herd mentality has really kicked in and as you said start of the season it wasn't long ago but it feels like ancient history now those uh, that arsenal man city start just made it feel so easy there were weeks when there were weeks where you know we had fpl salah redman on the other week and he was saying that you know he only made his first transfer in game week six like it's very, very unusual that we end up in this situation. But yeah, no, it's definitely been a very unique start to the season. I think there's players like Phil Foden, Sam, which, again, probably are now mm. going to be stuck with. He's been a total disaster in terms of me signing him. Obviously, Trossard has pulled my pants down. But Pep basically pepping us again and making a player who was basically City's number two goal scorer into a rotation risk pretty much overnight for all kinds of reasons, albeit he was looking a bit tired. Those things are frustrating. With Tony deciding to get himself suspended, or if you own Saka, him sadly getting injured because he's been kicked to death by Renan Lodi, like that whole agency idea has been taken away. And this all, it all feels to me like my sense of direction has completely been decided by outside forces, you know, and it feels a bit uncomfortable, a bit frustrating, a bit constraining. Frustrating. I've just made a portmanteau of frustrating and constraining there. <laughs> no, you know what I mean. Like, but maybe it is a, a symptom of my human condition to want to feel like I'm in control and project it onto my FL behavior. Like, Adam Pritchard, a good question this week, a free five who, he said, "Are we dealing?" And you've touched on a second ago with problems first, like Tony, or is it the case of looking for opportunities to differentiate? So sell Zaha. For example, he's been underwhelming. Like I feel like I've lost my agency here, Sam. I've, I did Tony out pretty quickly for Wilson. Is it different for you? Are you more hit friendly? This season, I tried to make a point of not taking any hits unless I absolutely have to. And so far, I've actually been able to avoid taking any whatsoever, which I think is more common this season for a lot of FPL managers than in previous years. However, I do think mm -hmm. as, as this specific set of circumstances this week does give uh, inspiration to try and take a hit and take advantage of factors building up against my side and probably quite a few other managers' sides at the moment. The idea that Haaland might be out leaves us with a massive elephant in the room, which is who are you going to captain this week? If he is out, there could be a real opportunity to target a particular captain that you fancy that might not be in your side yet. I know a lot of people might be looking if Haaland is out at making a double switch to bring in KDB in the mid in the midfield and maybe slapping the armband on him. Now, even though his ownership's creeping up, it won't be anywhere near 150 to 170% EO like it has been with Haaland recently. So there's upside to be chasing there. And I think if you're happy to take a hit on a captaincy option 
and you know that you're going to put the armband on him at least one of the next two weeks, there's a much better chance of it paying off even in the short term than if you are trying to sell Zaha to pick the next seven to eight million midfield asset who's going to explode in the next two weeks and beat him for certain by four points or more. Even though I'm frustrated with Zaha and I am admittedly tempted to get rid of him this week, looking at his fixtures and seeing that Nottingham Forest game in in game week 16, I can't help but feel that I'm going to have my pants pulled down by Zaha classically trolling me once again when the second I sell him, he gets his haul. And we know that Zaha's got it in in him any given game week to do so. He's on penalties. The haul is waiting to be had. It's just a matter of when it's going to come. And I do feel like there is an element of jumping before you're pushed with Zaha. But at the same time, do you want to jump before the haul happens and miss out altogether and then possibly jump on a, a trossard who, again, we know can blow hot and cold. So it feels like we might be chasing last week's haul a little bit by getting rid of a player like Zaha, just because he seems like he's out of form, in inverted commas, at the moment. Whereas a player like Tony, who we know is going going to get zero points this week, or a captaincy option, like replacing Haaland if he is out, does seem like a more fruitful way to be spending that hit, and it seems much more likely to pay off in the short term. You feel more comfortable, don't you, doing that than selling a player who still has that kind of perceptual ceiling when it comes to a player like Zaha. Like you're going to spend the whole fixture worried that they're going to potentially do something. There's also very interesting sort of bits and pieces there, that's for sure. Um, there's the idea of losing Haaland as captain. There's kind of the inevitable tailspin of a headwind, really, when it comes to losing Haaland. You feel like you move quickly from certainty to uncertainty, losing Haaland as a captain, especially if it's you know transferring a player in as a captain decision. Like that, suddenly that transfer takes a lot more sort of prominence, a lot more weight, doesn't it? Like you, you feel like you're kind of going from on in the Haaland captaincy era, buying one guy who's slightly threatening the template to someone who's threatening you know your whole week and the things going right or wrong. It really ups the ante about everything. And you're saying about kind of hits this season, you've avoided them. I've only taken one hit. And that's utterly unheard of, really, any given season for me when it comes to WGTA. Like, I'd be taking hits like they're going out of fashion. And it's really fascinating to kind of see how this season's unique sort of characteristics have mm-hmm. led to the situation. And as you said, maybe the fact that the season's kind of beginnings and how it was shaped as you described it, have led to us now being without that kind of sense of control, you know? Maybe the fact that Haaland was the perma-captain for so long, maybe the fact that the template was so strong for so long, like even after the the game week seven, the game week eight trans- uh, wildcards for many, the template reasserted itself so quickly, didn't it? Like, absolutely, like really, really fast. We found ourselves again in a situation where um, it, it was quite a clear sort of template. So it's been the last few weeks, said last week, where you've started to kind of see that fracture a bit. And I don't know, I, I, I just wonder over, over the next few weeks, could we be in for a kind of a project restart style 
if you don't own this one player or a couple of players, that things could really fall through because you know, a lot of us are holding on to uh, the sort of midfields that we that we kind of mentioned earlier on. You know the likes of your Fodens and the likes of uh, your Sallers, who for various reasons aren't you know, particularly desirable. If I was wildcarding this week, I'm not sure either of them be close to my team. And you know, De Bruyne probably, I can't probably get there unless I take a minus four this week and that feels a bit well I've got to take a minus eight now because I've got triple city already so are we trapped Sam is this it are we just screwed or is there is there a positive way we can spin this is it just that we should maybe refrain from it being an inescapable fate and more just being like actually our team's as I said last week, we're not making the basic mistakes. We're not picking these players that we're going to be removing. All of our teams, we've set them up for mostly for good reason. I mean, you do have Luke Shaw, to be fair, but I mean, you know, we all make mistakes. Um, but like, we, 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 we've set up our teams with with you know good thinking in mind. They're all good players. Every given week, I could put this team out and probably get 100 points if everything went my way in fair win. So is it maybe a case of this lack of control being a lesson in trusting our teams a little bit and hoping that variance sticks with us or at least goes our way because a lot of the time and believe me i've done this for five years in a row now a lot of the time when you do move a player out that's the time you should probably have kept them as you said with lights of zaha earlier on so maybe Mm. this is a time where we can exercise or at least practice hoping variance goes our way and practicing patience knowing that there are a few kind of little gaps to fix like Tony if Saka's injured like Saka but other than that just kind of enjoying the ride almost like there's a feeling like you're out of control but there's also that sense of just enjoying it enjoying the the, the ride the cruise however you want to put it mm. um, and look is, is that me talking rubbish or is that is there, is there an element of truth in that no I think there's definitely an element of truth in that and I think FPL is a noisy game. Any given game week, a Zaha or a Trossard might explode or they might blank. And what you need to do is try and balance that out over several weeks. And a player like Zaha is a very unpredictable asset to own. He could haul against Man City and then blank against Southampton, for example. So to ride that out over a five to 10 game week stretch gives you a much better chance of actually finding those halls rather than trying to pick the perfect fixtures for them. Obviously, fixtures are always going to help guide the way. And I think that's where you almost have to place faith into your past self, your past decision maker. There was a reason you brought in the likes of Anderson, because over a six to seven game week run, he had four or five fixtures in there where you thought maybe there's a decent chance of a clean sheet. And now we get to the point where you're relying on that player to get that clean sheet with two or three game weeks to go. I think it's not worth the transfer. It might as well be a player you just hold on to and hope that your previous self is proved to be correct. Apart from work past me, Sam, who often means that future, gives future me a hell of a lot of things to do. Like of today. Um, thank you, past me, you absolute um, <laughs> I mean, normally, actually, in FPL, every week, if you are an engaged manager, you make engaged decisions. And there is always going to be some longer time horizon attached to it. And as I said earlier on, maybe it is the case that now you've got to kind of reap what you sowed all that time ago. Maybe some things did change, but equally at the start of the season, 
the, the template was good for a reason. Everything seems to kind of work okay for a reason. I know it, most people haven't had the best start, the start they wanted, but equally, it's a case of just, I guess in summary, being quite sanguine about all of this and just being as serene as you possibly can because we love control as humans. We like to think we're in control of ourselves, our own destiny, have agency, et cetera, et cetera. But at the moment, it's simply the case that unless you really rebel against it and cut off your nose to spite your face, take big hits or something, we simply don't have full control in a fanciful context. And as, as I said last week, I think we can only be that, that's probably my favourite word, but be sanguine about it. In circumstances like this, you have to have that kind of sense of yogic serenity uh, because it is, it's a very unique time where you, it's a bit like kind of normally pre-wildcard. When you know your wildcard in a couple of weeks, you've got this ability to be quite chill. But everybody else isn't in the same boat if you're wildcard. Obviously, like, the engaged community, all wildcard, second wildcard at a certain time. But we've got a proper like universal full stop, which is very, very unusual. And I think it's just a case of enjoying the ride. Like, you know, you've almost all got good teams. You've listened to this. Fix the issues, I think me and Sam both saying, and just take it as it comes, really. You've got two weeks left and you'll soon have a really good break from FPL. So just enjoy <laughs> what it is at the moment. I know it might not be ideal. You might feel like you're not entirely in control of things, but equally, I'm sure the decisions you made, past you made, um, will bear fruit over the next couple of weeks and just make obvious moves where you can, as Lucy would always say too. Speaking of breaks, that's of ours now. We'll be back just after this. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Right, we're back. And it's time to just go to the Mini League very quickly because there's a new leader. Uh, it's the Ferocious Heat, Dave Hughes, 76 point this week, uh, up from fifth to first, a salad capacity for Dave. In second, uh, up from seventh, it's Vladimir Rutsky, 77 points for Vladimir, taken up to second. Now, there is one slight hiccup with him getting to second. It's the fact that he bench boosted this week and he bench boosted Sam for precisely three points. Oh, no. <laughs> Anthony, Haaland and Greenwood, none of those players set foot on the football field. <laughs> so it's a... I'm going to... I think I'm afraid, Vladimir, that's a wasted chip in my view. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, you got up from second to seventh and you're doing very, very well this season. Uh, near the 900 points mark. Only Dave has broken that, but... Oh, it's uh, uh, unlucky, I suppose, is what I'm going to say. Uh, in, third, mm. <laughs> in third, up from eighth, it is Harry Lou. 72 points this week. Did a prescient Salah to De Bruyne um, and did uh, James Justin to Ben White. Uh, but Captain Kane, unfortunately, for the one point, uh, which wasn't fantastic and did obviously uh, sell Salah for De Bruyne, but watched his face nonetheless. In fourth up from eighth, Abdullah Mohammed, uh, FPL Najib, 75 points, minus four for him. Bought Wilson this week uh, as part of 75, very good work. Um, in f oh, joint fourth, actually, Robin Smith, uh, Yantan Leatherit, just goes down, I think, but I did the transfers made uh, from third to fourth. Again, very similar score, 62. In sixth, down from first, John Philarkless, Robin Hill, 888 points for him, 55 points this week. In seventh, up in 22nd, it's Matthew Little, Little Horse, 11. Uh, 74 points for Matthew this week, very good week there. Uh, joint eighth, it's back Neto, Henry Dean, and Marmalade Forest, Pete Carter, up from 11th for Henry, unfortunately dropping down from second. Uh, 52 points for Henry, 64 for Pete. Uh, but again, very good. Henry took the punt on the Darwin captaincy and Pete took the punt on the Saka captaincy. So mixed fortunes there. 
very much. And Lewis Gamby, who was leading the league a little while ago, he's back in the top 10, up from 16, up to 67 points this week. Bought Almiron. Well done, everybody. Move on to the market forces then, Sam. Oh, who'd do this? Who'd do this? But Callum Wilson has been bought by almost, well, over 600,000 managers, Sam. And Ivan Tony has been sold by an almost equal amount. Imagine the sort of people who have moved on a Monday night or even a Sunday night or even a Saturday night. These people must be total plebs, mustn't they? Yeah, I think the fact that they are almost mirrored exactly in price and the completely directly contrasting form uh, coming into this game week as well really does go to show that it is quite a simple move to make. As long as Wilson gets through training this week unscathed, I don't really see anything going wrong there. The only issue is Wilson is a little bit injury prone, which is the only real reason that I'm waiting at the moment. Although I'm tempted to move early if I see another price rising coming, which to be fair, with over half a million people bringing him in already, it looks quite likely that we might be seeing him at 7.5 before the week's up. Yeah, yeah, and uh, still, it's still under ten percent owned, but I think he'll he'll clearly make that, and probably top hundred k, uh, top ten k, especially you'll be looking at really high ownership after that point. I mean, it, mm. most of the action is in the midfield this week, so the most bought in midfielders are Almiron four hundred and fifty k, Trossard uh, who you talked about earlier four hundred twenty k, and Kevin De Bruyne brought in about one hundred seventy five thousand managers, and. In terms of the sale, the top five, apart from Tony, is made up by the midfielders. So Foden, people have gotten bored, seen enough uh, after two substitute appearances, only 55,000 sales. Zaha, who you may be looking at selling, owned by, uh, sold by 142,000 managers. Anthony, I'm, I'm surprised this many people owned him in the first place. Sold yeah. by almost 100,000. I don't really understand that. And uh, Mason Mount, um, who probably, you know, after the brace, people brought him in and have been greeted with nothing. Sold by 90,000 managers. But yeah, Anthony surprised me. I was just like, who's who bought him in the first place? I mean, I, I, maybe it's just me and my little kind of FPL Twitter bubble. But yeah, lots of movement in that midfield. I guess people looking for that kind of high upside differential or at least jumping on the bandwagon where it comes to Armouron. Uh, I'm worried this is going to be a Danny Ings situation. I'm kind of hoping or looking forward to the World Cup break there. It's a classic one, isn't it, where... You're looking at Bestie Lingard thinking, 2.0 there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're looking at it and thinking, oh, there's no way this can continue. That's I, I, as I said, I wasn't too happy with the decision making process. Didn't really look at him, um, but I'm sure there was a part of me that was thinking, oh, there's no way this can continue. But again, no great goal and obviously the assist for a penalty. Um, and you know, it could be the case that you know, he's, he's just in form at the moment. Uh, whatever that's worth and also Diego Diego Dallo in defence brought in by 120,000 managers ahead of a final couple of good game weeks Man United so yeah very straightforward market forces there and a fairly straightforward question section this week uh, but I think the first thing to just mention uh, I think it's just worth talking about here a bit Sam um, is this whole sort of idea of a deadline being changed because as I intimated during my chat about buying Rashford's and it all being a bit of a, a stressful period. There was a lot of discussion um, for those not on Twitter this weekend about the deadline being changed, potentially one way or the other, so backwards or forwards and you know, to try to just help managers a little bit, deal with what's going on. And I, I, The ICK cat, I suppose, out of the bag in loads of ways. You know, I think more and more people now are aware that there are certain people who are going to have certain information which is going to be 
very quickly disseminated onto the FPL community. And as you can see with the FPL server crashing, there are loads of people who are waiting on that, like simply loads. So the spike must be massive. And I had a few really good, interesting and robust discussions with uh, the likes of Andy Martin and friend of the FPL Fraser that was online on Sunday. And loads of good points back and forth, Sam, about how deadline could shift to help managers rest back, you know, some level of control uh, linking to our discussion this week. Um, and But it was a kerfuffle, wasn't it? Mm. Um, do, you, do you think the deadline should be moved? Is it just the case that we only gave a crap because it was Man City? Or, you know, is this a valid sort of discussion point, do you think? I mean, would anyone care if it was the Wolves versus Forest early game? I kind of feel like it wouldn't be a discussion point in that case. So, I mean, is it kind of an artificial sort of bubble blown up by this week or is there something more to this? Yeah, so I think with this week in particular, obviously Man City being the early game has really thrown a spotlight on this with so many managers moving off of Haaland or Foden in the last few minutes. Most weeks, this isn't going to be a major concern. Obviously, like you mentioned, if it was Forest versus Wolves, not many managers are going to really care about early team news or whether the lineups have been put out. I would personally side with you and say that it would benefit FPL in general from a functionality point of view to bring it up to the kickoff time. So there would be less of a groundswell with five or 10 minutes to go, which would help to ensure that the servers aren't ever overloaded and that everyone can get their transfers in. Now, Obviously, I would always sympathise with those in other time zones. It's always going to be hard for someone somewhere in the world to log in at any given at any given time when the deadline comes. And that's going to be the case, whether the deadline is an hour before kickoff, an hour and a half before kickoff, three hours before kickoff or at kickoff. I think the other important thing to note is that whilst the ITK cats, as it were, is out the bag, if you move the deadline to kick off on the first kickoff of the game week, let's say it's on a Saturday rather than a Friday for argument's sake, the 12.30 kickoff is probably still likely to have to adhere to the fact that quite a few ITKs are going to be coming out of the woodworks for the three o'clock kickoffs around that sort of time. So you might still have the same issues with future games going on later that day. So I don't think there's ever going to be one solution that will fit all. But from a functionality point of view, I would like to see the deadline moved to kick off on the first game just to make sure that managers have a better chance to spread their transfers out in that final hour so the servers don't get overloaded. So we can all have the opportunity to enjoy the game and get our moves made rather than any argument to do with ITKs necessarily. Yeah, I mean, I completely understood the point made by lots of Frazier saying the game should be more aware of global players. Um, I'm, there is definitely another side of the argument, which I, I completely appreciate kind of um, where they're coming from. Another side of the argument could be you've chosen to play a UK-based game, which is going to be necessarily on UK-based time. Um, there's always that kind of element of commitment. So, you know, you hear on that always chasing, for example, the guys down the Black Horse watching the game to 7am. And that is a precondition of them choosing to follow the Premier League, which is in the UK time. If you know it was the NBA and the timeline didn't agree with UK time, 
if I started complaining about US basketball not giving a crap about UK-based fans, I feel like most people wouldn't care. So it's, it's one of those where it really does come down to objectively what's better for the game versus subjectively what's good for me. But nonetheless, I completely understand where that argument comes from. And I wouldn't want to diminish that argument because it certainly makes a lot of sense to me. Moving the, the deadline forward to when Sky do it or whatever, just to kick off, just, just solves all the problems to me. Like It means ITKs are irrelevant in terms of the ITK's ability to impact behaviour. And it means all the the feces stirrers are also all irrelevant. And, you know, all the news gets heard. I mean, realistically, between the first lineup being announced and kickoff, no one does anything because there's nothing more to learn apart from, you know, potentially a warm-up injury. But that's it. You know, FL Twitter just becomes like the, the deep breath before the storm. There's nothing really that goes on there. And you know, people were saying, Andy Martin was saying, oh, yeah, but you know, people will be like queuing up to get on the server, et cetera, et cetera. But no, that's, not, that's not true because people will have the whole hour to kind of you know, go in and out, do things, change things, home or abroad. Even if, if you're like, not in the UK, you wake up with half an hour to go. You can catch up on all the news. Everything will be there for you. And you can make a decision, especially if your decision is particularly weighted towards that first game, but all the information available to you makes complete sense to me, but probably irrelevant, <laughs> to be fair. Um, and, um, I think They're not going to change it. <laughs> no, no, and probably one of those things which wouldn't be anything we'd speak about if it wasn't Man City first game. And at least next week, we don't have to... Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no midday kickoff is there. So, yeah, but it really reminds me of the start of the season with you know that whole kind of model debacle about following models and things like that. And if if certain individuals hadn't have done badly at the start of the season, this wouldn't there wouldn't be a discussion about it. So it kind of, it kind of just makes me think about that. Anyway, uh, let's move on to the main chat, um, which is I guess the FPL discourse about the next two weeks because this week what I'm going to get. And it's a statement of fact, not a critique. I understand where people are coming from. It is kind of house maximized the next two weeks. Next week, it's going to be one week punts. That's all we can really talk about at the moment. Um, but hey, let's make the best of the fist of it. FPL Oakwell asks, how do you advise playing his last two game weeks? Do we attack and take a few risks and limited approaches? Or do we consolidate? Poor guy. He's gone from 2.5k, Sam, to 236k in four weeks. Are you saying he's a little vexed? I mean, that's an understatement of the century. I would... Um, oh, yeah, actually, I, I would be too. <laughs> yeah, I'd be more than a little vexed. But yes, I, I think probably you're kind of sharing my ability to minimise and uh, walk away, which my therapist says is great. And But Derry Cracker says, if you accidentally took a minus 24 in game week 13 rather than using your wild card and still have a wild card to play... What are some players to target for the next two weeks? I'm asking for a friend. Ooh, that's <laughs> is it? Um, uh, top three low rank differentials to, to boost pre World Cup rank says FPL Goops. FPL Scientist says who are the most reliable and also the most against template picks for game weeks 15 to 16 in midfield uh, says FPL Scientist and Ashish Kumar. A couple of targeted questions. So Salah by and hold, who's the best replacement apart from KDB and the best replacement for Zaha? 
So lots of questions and things to talk about here. Um, I do have in my notes, Lucy, it's great to mention how well we did in last week's answers to basically the same questions. Um, but Sam, uh, oh, I think you should probably, I'm sure you will remember, but the top picks for differentials were Rashford and Wilson. They totally banged, uh, not Rashford as much, but Wilson definitely did. And they also mentioned Almiron, I think. I think I also mentioned the Wobie. But yeah, I mean, you know, not, it wasn't too bad, was it? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely an interesting little period. And the last two remaining fixtures, if you look at those, even the Bages, the pundits, will be able to tell you that those were two home fixtures naturally draw the eye. So Man City, Fulham at home, Brentford at home, West Ham, Palace at home, Leicester at home, Spurs, Liverpool, Leeds, Forest, Brentford and Crystal Palace and Wolves, Brighton and Arsenal. I guess those are the natural starting points, aren't they really? For if we're talking about certain players to pick for this week. I mean, uh, when you looked at these questions, what came to mind for you and who did you go for? Yeah, so from my point of view, I think it seems fairly set that we're not going to be making too many defensive transfers at this point. You probably want to be focusing on the upside picks in midfield and up front. And obviously these questions reflect that generally as well. I think if uh, I'm answering on behalf of uh, the uh, I can't remember who asked the question now, but on behalf of his friend uh, who is looking at wildcarding, the defence does kind of sort itself out with Cancelo, Trippier, probably a Crystal Palace defender, possibly a Man United defender, if you fancy the likes of Luke Shaw. Um, I know I did. Um, and then also possibly even an Everton defender wouldn't be the worst idea either. Um, looking at midfield, there's a lot more options out there. Obviously, your recommendation on Rashford came off last week and I see no reason to look away from him now. It looks like he's on a little bit of a hot streak now. He looks confident and his data as well is supporting the idea that he's a good pick at the moment. The same goes for Trossard too. I think those are both two players that you can quite confidently move towards at this point. Almiron, his stats aren't as strong as those two, but form, is it real? Is it not real? Well, if he keeps scoring goals, then that's good enough for me. Um, I think for the time being, it might be one where you just think, have if you're happy to have him until the World Cup and reassess after that, it's two weeks. How, how badly could that possibly hurt you if you go for him? Obviously, those of you on Newcastle double defence need to make a decision between Wilson and Almiron. I would probably favour Wilson in that case. We know more about him. We know his underlying data over several seasons. And obviously, he's on penalties as well. Um but yeah, in terms of the against the template picks, I think there are a few good options that you can look at that not many people are going to be brave slash stupid enough to jump on with a couple of weeks left. I don't know whether you want to dive straight into those differential picks now, Tom, or whether you wanted to focus on uh, some more sensible template picks first. Well, I mean, the first thing to do was just mention about defence, really, because I suppose I'm not sure I buy a Palace defender at the moment. I think. Obviously, the, the mice Southampton just there was an off day, wasn't it? I mean, they score against everyone, um, but it's just it was just a bad day at the office for them. Um, but West Ham um, up next uh, for them, I, I do think West Ham were very unlucky not to score against Man United. That's for sure. They took a very kind of a very big Maguire block in the final minute, uh, which is obviously great for me uh, because obviously I sold Bowen. Um, but it it, it, it wasn't it was second half especially uh, for the 
you guys against Crystal Palace. It didn't feel like the most solid defense performance from Palace, uh, especially um, with uh, Decore out for Palace too um, at the moment. Um, and he's playing Millie. I think Schlupp came back to the lineup, which is very good uh, for them. Uh, but nonetheless, um, Decore being out um, probably does worry me a little bit about their defense. I'm playing them this week. I've got to, um, but if you've got the option to make a defensive move, I think uh, looking back at those kind of home games, obviously you probably want another defend- City defender, probably want a City attacker as well, and probably want blah, blah, blah. We've all probably got three City players, um, but a West Ham defender makes a lot of sense to me, really just to bring in and play, uh, to be honest. I think that they're kind of the most plug-in and play able of all of the certain individuals out there. Uh, God, yeah. right, I, I miss... I really really do miss stats bomb because uh opta is is crazy but opta also <laughs> says that west ham is the third best defense in the premier league at the moment if you do care about that on fb ref do i believe it absolutely not but hey you know this is the world we live in now a suboptimal world <laughs> and but yeah i think west ham uh, there's two defenders who are worth looking at the first one um, was Zuma, uh, who was very close this week again after scoring last week. A great save by De Gea. But the man delivering that cross, Creswell, is still where I go um, on a lot of self- set pieces, uh, playing in a fairly advanced role in terms of you know, full-back support and football manager pardons. Lots of routes to points, which I really like. Got eight points two weeks ago as well. So even if they don't, do anything in terms of him getting golden assist. He's well in for bonus. So with Crystal Palace and Leicester, the final two games, I don't mind that at all. But as you said, it makes so much sense to push forward, doesn't it? So much sense to look um, at that midfield and at that attack. And I've made the same value judgment you just have about Wilson versus Almiron, pushed by the fact that I didn't have Tony. I had Tony to deal with, and you know, Wilson was a player that I was pushing last week. Very good in terms of the uh, the expected data. According to Opta, he's still fifth for non-pen XG in the Premier League this season, uh, which is pretty good considering he's played fewer games and fur for uh, XG per ninety, which is again really really favourable. Newcastle playing incredibly well this year. I was advocating his case last week. They're third, apparently, for non cheap overall this season. Last week, it was the case, again, back to that kind of idea of control, where it felt a bit silly to be selling Tony ahead of Wolves or Mitrovic ahead of Everton. Both of those moves. Now, I'd be laughing if I said, oh, yeah, I took the risk, blah, blah, blah. But that's hindsight talking, isn't it? And, but yeah, I think, I think that... Makes a lot of sense. Almiron, I, I can see why you look at things and go, oh, yeah, well, you know, it's not backed up by the stats. I'm not buying that guy in. But he is still eighth for non-pen XG this season. I mean, that's that's not bad at all, really. And if you correspond that with his value, as you spoke about a few weeks ago, really worth buying if you have you know, not very much money making a move around. But differential, Sam, anyone really catching your eye in that perspective i mean I, my man rashford probably still just about counts as, as, a, as, a, as a differential with villa and fulham next um but you know anyone else who's really kind of uh i mean you spoke about one individual earlier on i'm, I'm very interested to hear what the identity of this individual is it's not james ward prowse is it 
No, it's not James Ward Prowse, luckily. Um, I would be remiss in my responsibility as a Saints fan if I was to recommend him. Um, but yeah, Rashford, I would say, is a great differential pick, except for the fact that he won't stay differential for long. Like we mentioned with Anthony earlier on, we were surprised at how many managers even had him in the first place to transfer him out. United Assets do seem to get very highly owned very quickly because of their global following. So I think Rashford and Dallow as well will become heavily owned picks this week and next, as I think we can already see in the market forces. In terms of against the template picks, I think there are opportunities there. So the one player that if I was brave enough, I would look to be taking a punt on now would be Son Hyun Min. Now, this might... This might come as a surprise to many. However, when you look at the two fixtures remaining, both at home against sides that do love playing quite a high line, quite a brave pressing style of football, that suits Son down to the ground. He always has fun against those kind of defences. Liverpool are looking very suspect at the back this season in terms of those big one-on-one chances that opposition opposition attacks are able to create son as one of the most deadly finishers if not in the league in in the world as well i think he can get at that back line and especially against leeds in game week 16 as well we know he's got an explosive haul in him we've seen that already this season off the bench and whilst he's been disappointing on the whole i think if you're getting a bit fed up with the likes of salah and you want to take a risk the likes of Son this week could be your answer to your prayers. Um, outside of that, Ben Rama as well might be on pens at West Ham. I like I like the look of him. He should be fairly nailed on at the moment with other injuries in the squad. And then, of course, your favourite Iwobi might not be the worst idea if you're looking for a budget budget pick. I would personally prefer billing at that sort of price range um, with two good fixtures coming up now until the cup as well. Um, you could also always look at Madison or Barnes. A lot of play, a lot of FPL managers have now hopped off of Madison with two weeks to go and two favourable fixtures. Madison could be another differential that a lot of managers won't be looking at for the last couple of weeks before the World Cup. Yeah, he's probably not going to the World Cup, is he? Let's face it. So at least you'll buy a player in who's going to have a bit of a rest <laughs> over December. No, absolutely. I, I think all of those are kind of good picks. The only one I w- I'm not really a big fan of is Ben Rama. Like, he struck me as ex-lively uh, rather than ex-points. Mm. Uh, but Corne is out at the minute, and he said it on penalties, and uh, he does have that sort of X-factor in terms of the having that ability to use his player to create something out of nothing. And th- th- those are always in- exciting, interesting players to own, especially if that is midfielder three, midfielder four. Absolutely don't mind it. Two very good home fixtures, as I've mentioned. And um, I mean, I, before this weekend, I was looking at having Bowen for those two fixtures. I've been perfectly happy. Um, and now I'm kind of not with any West Ham for those two. And um, did look a bit constipated this week, let's be fair. Um, but um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if those two do turn out pretty good. I do like the Son pick a lot. Um, I mean, Spurs have degenerated into the Kane team this year a little bit. 25% owned in FPL, but honestly, every week I'm just glad if we avoid a return from him, uh, we being non-Kane owners. <laughs> just, one point versus, <laughs> just one point versus Bournemouth, right? 
But every Spurs goal, the automatic assumption is that's a Kane goal. Um, and that's uh, a very powerful thing. And, you know, so a couple of weeks ago, if we went for him over Salah, we'd be laughing again. Uh, so this just a ridiculous consistency. Uh, but Son, in consideration for those exact reasons, uh, makes a lot of sense, especially with those two games being at home. Um, mm. That would be quite good. Um, I don't know if Kulisevsky, what the prognosis on him um, I think it would be interesting to see what goes on there, especially if the two... T- but I mean, as you said, depending with a high line is very different, but depending with a low block. Um, and Liverpool and Leeds, both with very suspect XGA this season, this best goals against this season. So that makes a lot of sense. I really like the idea. And if I was being more uh, debonair with my transfers, and yeah, I'd absolutely go that way. I think yeah. the, only, the only question in my mind now is would you ever consider selling Holland with two weeks to go? That's the only thing I think that's left to talk about of this particular podcast because, like, I don't know, I've been listening to it, thinking about it the whole time. And even if Pep came out this week and said Holland's out for two weeks, he probably won't be back until after the World Cup. I think I'd I'd have a real quandary about whether I get rid of the guy. Like, I'd. My my initial instinct is that I'd rather play Pereira versus City or have a Doherty or Neko cameo rather than take the hit and sell Holland now. I, I just I just don't have the headroom or the the wherewithal really to do it at this point, given the fact that I'm so constrained or feel so constrained, you know, feel so straightjacketed. I mean, would you ever consider selling Holland before the World Cup? I think if I knew for certain, and we'll, let's be honest, we're not going to get that sort of news from uh, Pep anytime soon. So we're going to be guessing. But if I knew for certain that he wasn't going to play either of the Prem games before the World Cup, there, there is so much money to just be sat burning on, on your bench when there is Kane that you can easily hop across to or you can make the double swap to get to KDB and have a captaincy option that you can feel pretty confident in in both of the last two game weeks I think I would probably be tempted to make the move um, you would lose obviously 0.4 in value possibly possibly 0.5 I can't remember how much he's gone up since uh, day one now I think it's 0.4 but over the World Cup, I imagine that you could find a structure that brings him back in where you might be sacrificing a, a bit of money in your fourth or fifth defender or maybe in your, your fifth midfielder. And I think that for two weeks of a good captaincy option like a KB or possibly a Kane, it might be worth taking that hit. But it would take a very brave manager to do so, considering the amount of value we've accrued in him. And the fact that, like you say, we've got bench options that can come in and do a job for two weeks if needs be. I think if Andreas had better fixtures in the last two, I would I would just hold Haaland and keep him on my bench. But because Andreas in particular has to go up against City and United back to back I I think I'd just chase the upside there and go with go with a strong captaincy pick and hope that the minus four pays for itself based on those captain returns I guess there's always going to be that kind of feeling that eventually you'll want Holland back um and it 
becomes it just becomes quite a, a quite a difficult situation because yes Kane against Liverpool at home given how they've been defending and that final game uh, against uh, Leeds at home both of yeah. them look look very good but also Spurs have not looked particularly fluent this season either so it's it's very much one of those where you kind of again you feel like you're kind of trapped into a particular vortex of uh, of moves, and it's it's quite a difficult one to call. I'm I'm really genuinely hoping that he's all right. I mean, there was a video again recording on Halloween. He was out in on Halloween this evening in Manchester and wasn't limping, and hopefully it is that. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's it's so difficult to deal with. And I just don't know whether I want to sell. But as you said, it's kind of the it's diminishing returns, isn't it? Because the longer you keep, the more he's going to fall in price. And mm. uh, he's still 12.2, right? I bought him for 11.5. Yes. That's, that's still a huge hole in my budget for the world, for the world cup wild cards. I'm going to mm. have to, I know that I'm going to, you know, I'm only going to have to find 0.4, but in my head, I don't really see it that way. I don't, I don't see it as the net, kind of outcome I see it as the gross outcome where I'm going to have to find 0.7 more to buy this guy so I might as well especially if we're in a period where you know you can just about limp through I kind of feel like I take an Andreas against Man City away or a or a Doherty against Liverpool and just go with it I don't, I don't know I, I, I think it's one of those things that I'll uh, linking back to a pod a few weeks ago, I'll cross that bridge when I come to it because <laughs> it's just too much of a of a of a, of a brain population uh, to deal with at this particular moment in time. That's for sure. What are you thinking this week with transfers and captains? So, in terms of transfers, I'm probably going to follow suit with you, and I'm looking at getting rid of Tony probably for Wilson. I will have a look at the market and see if there's any one else tempting me but at the moment it does seem pretty obvious that Wilson is the standout pick with Southampton and Chelsea to come I don't hate that Chelsea fixture either I think they can be got at especially at home um, so I, I do like him as a as a striking option I would have liked Skamaka but I wasn't convinced with him against Man United at all um, he looked like he was close to get, getting himself sent off and his underlying data isn't as strong as I thought it would be before actually checking it out. So I do like the look of Wilson. I also don't hate the idea of um, Jesus either. With just two weeks to go now before the World Cup, he's still on that fourth yellow card. So it is a risk. But whilst a lot of other players will be looking at the likes of Wilson, Jesus is still notching up 0.75 XGI per match or per 90 on average, which is still elite and he's still great value at 8 million. So he could be another option that a few managers might just be possibly not looking at at the moment. Um, Outside of that, if I get news that Haaland's out for those two weeks, like I mentioned earlier, I might look at throwing that plan in the bin and chasing upside by getting rid of a midfielder and Haaland and switching it. So it's Wilson and KDB, for instance, maybe getting rid of Zaha. But I think that that probably is going to be last resort. I'm hoping Haaland's fit. 
Um, and if I have an inkling that he's going to be back even for the Brentford game, I'll probably hold on to him, like you say, and just bear with playing either Andreas or Gehi this week. Captaincy, I honestly have no idea on at the moment. I don't know if you're more set on your captain option. My armband is currently on Salah, I think, just because his name is Salah. Um, as long as Haaland's not fit, of course. Um, but I could see an argument for the likes of Trippier. I could see an argument for the likes of Wilson. Um, if you can get to KDB, I think he's probably the standout, but I know a lot of people won't be able to. So interested to hear who you have picked out as your captain of choice. Well, obviously, uh, Boston Haaland. Um, if, yeah. if Foden is looking like he'll play, because I, again, it was a 3pm with no mid day kickoff so hopefully we get some sort of leak oh god not again <laughs> i i think if if he's looking like he's gonna start he'll probably be the captain if holland isn't starting and i hope he does okay in the 55 minutes or so pep gives him basically um or you know i give the captain straight to wilson um you know mm. the, the fabled straight in and captained which is i don't think i've done that for years um, but that could definitely one to look at, that's for sure. But yeah, no, it's definitely open. I wouldn't captain Salah. I know that there's a lot of people who are still banging the drum, and I understand why they're banging the drum. Um, but you know, if you watch the last couple of games, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not an artist, uh, ultra or anything like that. But if you watch the games, you can, you can see that it's not, it's not quite the Salah of old. Um, and maybe, you know, some magical uh, reversion will come and we can all kind of feel happy and be gaslit into the idea that we made a mistake if you didn't captain Salah. But it just doesn't feel like that at the moment uh, with Salah. Uh, his name is Salah, but it kind of feels like the false prophet rather than the real deal a little bit. Um, in general, mm. in general, um, I've done Tone to Wilson already, as I've mentioned. And it's just a really dodgy week on paper, isn't it, Sam? I mean, Arsenal away at Chelsea has been mentioned, uh, Liverpool away at Spurs, and plus like, Mitro versus uh, Man City's defence. And yet again, as I said a second ago, we're relying on those potential leaks. And I'm really not looking forward to it, like, especially if no early game. It's going to be a really horrible kind of early afternoon on Saturday. But yeah, I mean, I know you were talking about potentially looking at a hit earlier on. Like, if I, I would say now, as I said last week, I don't want to take any hits. I don't really want to do anything. But if there are more developments, and I'm looking at my bench is so ropey. I've got prayer away to City, like everyone's got. I've got Doherty at home to Liverpool, and I've got Neko at home to Brentford. And none of those players look any good to me. Like Pereira is obviously going to probably play. Um, Doherty, I don't know. And Neko looks like he's not a first choice anymore. So I might have to do something if there's another issue um, just to make sure I don't end up feeling just 10 men because then mm. suddenly the minus four doesn't look anywhere near as bad. But it would be so reluctant to do because like, even then I need to, I think I need to score five points then. And it just feels so vanishingly slim, the chance of that paying off. But yeah, it's it's definitely... It's a difficult week, and um, the the fixtures aren't anywhere near as warm as they were. They have been the last few weeks, so I think this is one of them where 
I think we need more information right now. We're calling it Halloween, of course. Uh, so maybe by Friday, things become clear. Uh, maybe Saturday afternoon, things become clear. And I'll be here kind of being like, oh, it's a good, another hit. Oh, dear. Not again. <laughs> Not again. It's just one of those, isn't it? Right. Well, I think that's your lot. Um, hopefully that was useful. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, Sam, and being such a great stand-in for Lucy. Uh, obviously, uh, a massive uh, step up. Uh, that's, that's really patronising. You, you're really good um, this week, and I, I'm really glad that I asked you to come on because you've genuinely helped me out an awful lot um, by coming on and being so articulate and so uh, very, very good uh, with your thoughts and everything. Um, yeah, thanks for coming on this week. Thank you for having me, Tom. It's been an absolute honour. Like I said at the start, I've been listening to this pod for ages, so it's uh, a very big moment for me. So hopefully I did myself justice, really enjoyed the show, and uh, talking to you for the last hour has helped me figure out my plans a little bit for this week. So thank you again. And yeah, look forward to meeting up with you and other people listening to this pod in a couple of weeks at the next meets. Yep, November 12th, I think it is, isn't it? Uh, the Thirsty Bear uh, by Waterloo. Uh, please come down for that. If you want more information, at FPL Meets on Twitter. Uh, thanks for listening. We were who got the assist. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at WGCA underscore FPL. Lucy, usual co-host, will be back next week. She is at Lucy Hynett with two Ts. Hope we assisted you. And next Monday is the anti-penultimate pod of this half of FPL. It's not very long until we can go off and have a rest and just enjoy the World Cup or not enjoy the World Cup and boycott it uh, if you've got any moral qualms, which I kind of do share. Um, but yeah, anyway, farewell. I hope we assisted you think about control this week and we'll speak to you very, very soon. Goodbye. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Social Podcast Network. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.